Welcome to Soccer Talk, a podcast about soccer, mostly in Iowa, presented by Kick It Forward. Kick It Forward is a positive disruptor to the Iowa soccer community. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Insurance Services and Michael Keener, Attorney at Law. You need legal help? You need insurance help? Those are the two to contact. That's right. Welcome to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Iowa soccer supporters. Welcome to Soccer Talk. I'm Ben Brackett, your co-host, along with my good friend, um, Blake Sievers and dog, LaVon. LaVon, quiet, buddy. Ben, good to be in the lair. Not good to have LaVon interrupting our, our pod. I know, I apologize. Uh, it's so chilly outside. We thought we'd uh, you know get out of the house together for a little bit. But anyway, uh, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Um, kind of a hot topic we're talking about today. We got a lot of feedback from our first hot topic on a cold day. I like That's it. right. Uh, we're talking about CDL and the ISL, right? Um, a lot of listens on that first run <laughs> just like, um, you know, what's what was about what was going on. I think it was a pretty neutral take, right? Yeah, I think so. We got a lot of, like I said, a lot of people asked us questions and slid into the DMs. And, um, you know, we've, uh, we kind of reached out to the three bodies there, the Iowa soccer, the CDL, and the ISL teams. Yeah, so the Club Development League and the Iowa soccer league teams. So today we've got Matt Carver with the Iowa United Football Club, formerly Jayhawk Soccer Club. Out of Urbandale. Uh, yep, and we reached out to the CDL and unfortunately they have, I think that's our second time we've ever been declined. Uh, uh, yes. By somebody. Or, well, first time was also uh, somebody related to the CDL. <laughs> I don't think they were related as to why they turned us down, but Ian Bradley still has said he won't come on the pod. I know. Regardless of CDL or not. <laughs> coach coach Ian is, like is what uh, coach Bradley, what we used to call him. Um, and then, yeah, we did, we did reach out to the CDL and, um, they did not think it was beneficial for them to, to come on. So we're here with Matt and then, um, I think we'll be talking to Dan Cataldi with the state once everything is finalized. Cause we're kind of still in the middle of evidently there's negotiations going on. At least conversations. Um, so anyway, uh, let's just kind of hop to it and chat with Matt Carver and, uh, sort of see what he's got to say. All right, Matt Carver, welcome to the studio. How are you today? Doing well, thanks for having me. We're really excited to have you here. Uh, welcome. Uh, Blake? Yeah, so we'll find out is, um, have you listened to any of our podcasts before? I have not up to this point. I need to be honest. I mean, I could have said yes, I have not, but you, I, I definitely will. You could have said yes, because we would have uh, grilled you with the first question we ask every guest is, is this your first podcast you've ever been on? No, it's not actually. So I did the other soccer pod, corn fed. Corn fed. I did corn fed. Whenever I was there, a year and a half ago, maybe or something like that. Nice. So that's this. This will be my second. Oh, we'll uh, we'll see if they've trained you well to be a guest or not. <laughs> Very good. Well, so I mean, we're obviously here to talk about all sorts of stuff, but uh, we sort of like to hear hear the origin story to begin with. Um, so <clears throat> I guess I would sort of ask for your 
you know, the Matt Carver origin story as a soccer player, but then also as a coach. Mm-hmm. And then I'd, I'd be curious, you know, like I, I know a little bit about Jayhawk, mm-hmm. but I would, I would not claim to know mm-hmm. that much. So I'd be curious about how, kind of how you came to form the club. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's pretty cool what you're doing. So just give us the, I mean, we'll probably interject and interrupt you. Like, sure. no doubt, but. I do that often, just like right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, But please go ahead and give us, uh, just give us the deets. Yeah. So I started out playing in Urbandale in 1980. So a little while ago. So uh, the the Urbandale soccer club started, I think, around 76, 77, right around that time. And I played recreationally during the 80s, Uh, played then at Urbandale High School. So they had varsity soccer. But at that time, it was, a, it was actually co-ed. So they had varsity, they had JV, but there was no girls program yet. So that didn't come until the 90s. Then I graduated in, in 1990 there from Urbanale. So played four years of varsity soccer, then went on, it was at Notre Dame, an ROTC program in the Army, played some intramural soccer for the dorm team, that type of thing. And then... Really, I'd say a a real formative experience for me is that when I was stationed in Germany, I had the opportunity to play on my local, you want to call it Sunday league team there in Germany. So I was the only American playing in the league. What do they call it there? It's not the pub team, but what? No, so it's SB, I mean, the club was SB Hormansdorf. So it's called Sport Grind. And that was the name. So a lot of them have different SV, SC. It's like they've got the clubhouse the whole day. They have the clubhouse, yeah. right? Exactly. Cool. They got the clubhouse. Exactly. That's exactly right. So most most villages there, and I say literally villages, right, would have a clubhouse. So we had a little clubhouse, had a locker room for the home team, locker room for visiting team, had an equipment room where you have all the soccer balls, all the equipment was all in there. You know, someone from the club would wash the uniforms for you, have them all ready to play. Uh, then on, uh, you train during the week. They'd usually have three training sessions. They had a training field. So even though it was a small club, they had a training field and they had a game field. So you did not get on the game field unless it was a game. <laughs> That's why it was a match field. And then on Sundays, we'd either play a home game there. Actually, I'll back up for a second. So. During the at the end of the week, they post who the first team was going to be, who so which players were being selected for that week for the first team because that would change on occasion. So that was posted outside of the guest house right there in town. So you go into town, <laughs> the whole community see, sees you know, his... the whole community sees like who's going to be on the first team for this week, who's going to be on the second team, and so they they posted it, and so you saw okay playing first team, and after a while, obviously, if you if you played well enough, you pretty much pretty much knew that was going to be the case. What position did you play? So I played a number of different positions. I primarily played left back. So oh, I would love played, that. Yeah. No, LinkedIn for Heidecker really? is what they call it. Excuse what? my Deutsch here. But, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Like, because that's a specific, does that mean like just left, left wide defender. back? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Left, left defender. So that was primarily what I played. So there, the other thing is that the number they need to change the name of the podcast. The way we're going to change it to just the left back with Ben and Blake. The left back. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody, we, well, not everybody, but almost everybody we have comes on left back. Well, I guess it tells you something. That's great. I, we're not sure what it tells us. But, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Welcome to the club. Yeah. A lot of respect for defenders, right? Especially yeah. the left. Yeah. Yeah. Defenders. yeah. And so Are you right footed? 
I am actually. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I know very, know very few left-footed left backs. Yeah, so. yeah, I know. Go figure, right? So uh, anyway, so <laughs> so you played there, played with that club. So you you go Sundays, you play the game. Townspeople would come. They drink beer. You know, they'd have beer there. They had brats there. They dropped at the time. They used uh, marks. Actually, they were just transitioning to euros, so they used marks. This is like mid nineties. Yeah, this is like mid nineties. This is like wow. mid, this is like ninety five to ninety eight. So some, someone would walk around with a beer mug, and walk around with the locals, and they dropped in. It was really a donation to their their sports club, is what it was. They dropped in five marks, you know, to to help out the sports club. And so then they'd watch the game and pretty much critique everyone there is what they did. You know, they were there to yell at us and criticize our play, criticize the other team, you know, cheer if we scored. And then, of course, yell at the, at the referee. So anyway, so we did that, had the home games to go to away games. That was really interesting. Sometimes, sometimes they'd have their clubhouse, sometimes a really nice clubhouses. Other times, for maybe the smallest clubs, you literally walk into the village and shower in some other like a guest house there in the village is where you shower maybe yeah, and then great. typically after the games both teams would get together and they'd have beer after the game get together after the games and have beer so uh now i'm that coke guy myself that really confused him but uh coke light over there <laughs> but that that was the experience it so was a great it was a great experience regardless you're being like social with the team right like, i mean oh, yeah. you're gonna have a glass of water with them you're sitting there and you're like have a chat Right. And testing your German. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the little the little bit I knew, I tested that and just had a that was just a great experience. But to see, and I, I said it was formative, and I think that the thing that stood out for me was the the level of technical play, even in a lower league. So what you would have there is you'd have some players. So this is our league would have been like eighth, ninth league. Okay. And when I say eighth, ninth league. In Germany, it's a pyramid. So eighth, ninth league, you have however many eighth or ninth leagues. You have probably 20 or 30 eighth or ninth leagues around the country. It's literally a pyramid. And then, you know, we'd have some players at that level who maybe when they were a little bit younger had played up to maybe fourth division. Okay. And uh, I had a player on my team there who was completely bolt-footed. I mean, I to this day, I trained with him for three years, no idea which foot was stronger. He take three kicks left foot, take three kicks right foot. And just the quality of some of the plays, some of the opponents was so that, so that was something that for me, I was like, wow, you know, we're at a low level league. We'd sometimes scrimmage against higher outs out of season against higher level teams. And so then you get to see even higher level of play uh, but to see that really stood out to me. And then just to see the, the culture too, and how much the locals enjoyed it, how much it meant to them, how much the game meant to their, not only the team, but the community. You'd see the children there watching, the children, you'd see them practicing and so forth. And so that was something that I took back with me when I moved back to the States. And so we moved back. Um, my wife and I moved back and I went to law school to Iowa. We, meanwhile, we were having kids. So we had, you know, we had three kids at that point. And then as the kids got a little bit older and we moved back to Urbandale, that's when I got involved with the Urbandale Soccer Club. So I was coaching with Urbandale Soccer Club, had a 
deployment and actually was on the board coach was on so the board mid 2000s early so this 2000s is like, right mid 2000s like mid early 2000s yeah so this would have been right exactly it's like early 2000s so i probably joined the club probably like to my daughter oldest daughter jesse probably started playing like 2001 let's say or so sure so and, i can't blame him for cutting me from the urbanale legend back in as early as before that yeah yeah you were i know you were just a little and you were not Blake was like one of these Johnson guys that lived in Urbandale. Yeah, and so that was the big. A bunch <laughs> of us tried out at Urbandale because that was like we didn't know what to do, and so there like three of us got cut, and we're like, oh well, that makes the decision pretty easy on what we're gonna do. So that was when you came to United. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. So I'm sorry. Yeah, keep going though, Matt. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just exactly. thanks. Now, thanks to you, I am friends with Blake and I know him for a long time. I, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I have nothing to do with it. So mid 2000s, so you're coaching. I was joined the board initially uh, one time. Then I was deployed in the army because I was in the National Guard. So I was deployed 2003, 2005, came back. Uh, as I got back within about a year, started coaching again. And I think I joined the board again, maybe around 2007 2008 and when i joined the board that second time that's when i started asking some more questions about what the club was doing you know how how the club was spending money and so forth uh, the, the recreational club and then also just asking questions about okay coaching pay how much money was going towards coaching pay from the recreational club questions about field use, uh, why in many instances then the recreational teams were not able to use the fields for training at all. And so a lot of questions about the, these different areas and I was raising these and it was very clear that those were not particularly welcome questions to ask. And this is when, was JUSC formed at this point? Okay, so, so this is what this right. is the, that okay. was right around. So in 2007, JUSC was formed. So initially, Urbandale and Johnson. So at that time, because as you alluded to, Urbandale had a pretty strong program for the area, the select program for a number of years anyway. Well, we just got done talking to Courtney Crandall, who was playing for the Urbandale Freedom, which was like the preeminent club of the time in 2001, too. Well, graduated 2000. Yeah. One. Yeah. Two. One. Yeah. Yep. So just, just, yeah. So yeah. I mean, and, and I know that Urban Club our age and then the younger ages. Revolution was 2004 or five. Yeah. Right. I mean, they won yeah. almost every state cup yeah. and com competitors at regionals. Yeah, it was and, like Ben Langley, Reed Baker, yep. uh, Shane Peterson. Yep. Plus like other guys. But those are the guys that I remember from when I was Joey Johnson. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so, so, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that so Urbanel had a strong select club, but then there was a feeling anyway by I guess some of the coaches, I I'm not sure who else, that it was dropping off a bit. So they decided, well, we need to combine with Johnston, and that's when JUSC was formed in 2007. So that was right around the time, just coincidentally. Now, again, I was involved more on the recreational side, but I was seeing what was going on with the select. And then one of the, another observation that I had, which I think this, we can get around to this as we talk more about community teams, is that when they went to the J, JUSC, 
it was very heavy on the Johnston side. And that's you know, no fault to Johnston. So, but over the years, and probably just with the growth of the Johnston community and so forth, after that, that combination, what I was seeing is there were a lot of young people in Urbandale who were no longer playing competitive or select soccer there because they wanted to be on a team with more of their friends. And so, uh, so that was one of the, the questions that I raised is, well, would it not make sense for us to maybe try to have a community team? And then if there were not enough players that then at that point, then you'd combine with Johnston. So again, just another question that, that I asked, uh, but I would say probably the, the central focus was the, uh, of my concerns relate to the cost. Okay. So, so this goes a little bit to the subsidy of the recreational subsidizing. You know, I was asking questions about how much they were charging for recreational soccer, you know, for U6 and U8. It just wasn't making sense to me the extent to which they were charging these families. And it became very clear that they were charging them more to help to subsidize the select program. And then, of course, select soccer, while it wasn't as expensive then as it is now, it was still very expensive. And that was causing a lot of kids not to play because they couldn't afford it. And I was, I made the point at that time that there were, there were going to be more parents, both men and women like me, who had grown up playing. And so why don't we tap into that pool of parents and community members who have a background playing, who may be willing to volunteer and coach at a more competitive level and that was something that was just not, as I raised that, that was not welcome. You're ahead of your time now. Yeah. Because how, no, I mean, serious. I was just thinking about this because like you're, you're how old? Yeah. Well, right now, I, and I, I don't mean this in all disrespect, yeah. but like you are. You could ask the same, you asked Courtney know, the other day. I, I, I'm not, I don't mean to be, yeah. like well, how old are you? Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I just turned 49. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so uh, when you grew up playing soccer, you're playing rack soccer in Urbandale and it was like, the first time it ever happened, right? Mo like, so most parents of your age from Iowa didn't have that experience until maybe like early nineties, say. Most so didn't I'm, even play. Correct. I mean, His so, age. So my, my father and I know Blake's, oh, yeah. Blake's father. Um, I mean, everybody, <laughs> my dad used to, you know, I mean, he put on the big old shingars and go play on Sundays sometimes with the boys. And I would go watch and I would just be like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. But that, and that's just, uh, I just again, I just think you're like you're just slightly just slightly ahead because you no know, like there are not a lot of parents of your age that have played at a level that it makes sense mm -hmm. to coach your kid. Yeah, there aren't as there certainly aren't as many. No, you're right. You're, but, you're a rare breed. But yeah, there aren't as many, but there were more than there were. So when I was a kid, there weren't any. Oh, so yeah. I mean, it was right. like unless you happen to be an immigrant, which by the way, then in Iowa not many immigrants in the 70s in iowa who's your coach so, growing up chuck mackey okay. no that's the guy i heard that chuck mackey no no he's an old this and that well I mean, i'm talking way back uh, you definitely haven't talked about oh, yeah. you don't, you don't yeah. chuck mackey. Yeah, yeah, you don't. yeah no he's, a rec <laughs> he's my recreational coach this so, I mean, he had never played great nice sure. man great man but you know he had never played but uh and then kg miller was my high school coach so sure. kg coach for a number of years and Anyway, uh, tragically passed away, I think, in the mid to late 90s, I think it was. But any, anyway, but so those, those were the coaches. But I, 
those were some of the issues though, back to these issues of cost I was raising. And then I would say that the straw that broke the camel's back was when I was on the board. And, you know, I, I mentioned about, again, my desire to continue coaching my daughters, my two oldest, Jesse and Maddie, both wanted to play at a, you know, relatively high level or play select soccer. And I wanted to coach them. And the board at that time with JUSC and Urbandale Soccer Club, they adopted a policy that parents were not permitted to coach at that level. They wouldn't, would not be permitted. And that to me just, and I know they're different. So there's some different philosophies out there. Oh, the parents favor their kids. They can't be objective. You know, I, I understand that. I mean, you know, there can be fair points here that are, I've heard some of that. At the same time, when here we're providing a much lower cost opportunity with a coach who did have a background, who had played, who had an opportunity to even see soccer overseas and so forth. And to say that I wasn't able to coach my kids, it was at that point that we decided, and I say we, there were other parents, the two teams, we had two girls teams. So this is how the Jayhawk soccer club started around 2010, there were two girls teams that sort of broke off and started the club. And at that point, we applied with Iowa soccer to be an affiliate of Iowa soccer, just expecting that we'd be approved. And then we went through, we became a tax exempt entity, did all the things. We looked at the application, did everything that we felt we'd need to do. And we applied. And then we were surprised to find out we were denied. So we got a, a letter and the letter very clearly stated that we were denied because there were already enough clubs in the area. Okay, to paraphrase what they said at that time, there are already enough clubs in the area. Des Moines doesn't need more clubs. And this, this is, was especially confusing to me because I had already gotten on the Soccer Federation's website and looked at their grievances. And there was a grievance decision Columbia Basin decision from 2002, which specifically had stated that a state association may not deny membership off of their not, you know, they're already being too many teams or clubs in an area. So, I mean, it was almost directly on point, but unfortunately that the soccer federation, when I contacted them, they said, well, that's not our job to, you need to file a grievance. So you can't, so I was, I was sharing this grievance with the board at Iowa soccer. I was regularly communicating with Iowa soccer about this and our, my concerns. Hey, we just want these kids to play soccer at a low cost, have a good opportunity. And, you know, and I feel that some of this, I believe Iowa soccer was being put up to this by some of the big clubs that were charging a lot because they didn't want competition. I mean, it's just my opinion, but they didn't want some upstart club coming in because once you allow one upstart club to come in, then more upstart clubs come in. And that, interestingly, that's exactly what's happened. And so, yeah. That's in a competition, like you, I mean, what's the quote? Competition breeds competition. everybody. Yeah, like, which is a good thing, I mean arguably. So that's interesting. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And so we, anyway, so I'll just, uh, I'll sort of fast forward, but we went through this for almost five years where we were not affiliated by Iowa soccer. Matter of fact, the first couple of years, a number of the local clubs wouldn't even allow us to play in their tournaments 
which was a clear violation of soccer federation uh, bylaws and policies because we were a member of USSA, so which in USSA is part of the soccer federation. But yet initially they wouldn't even allow us to play in tournaments and those tournaments had US club teams and other teams like that. So they should have permitted that. Eventually, eventually we, we did get into some of those tournaments, probably took a year or two. Uh, but again, the process took five years before we finally raised $4,000. And so we had to pay $4,000 to the soccer federation so they could have an arbiter come in, an attorney from Minnesota and we had a hearing at the Marriott. And at the hearing, their Urbanel Soccer Club and they'd represent from JUSC, I believe, and Iowa Soccer was Iowa Soccer was there arguing against us. Now this is the old Iowa Soccer, I'll say that. Sort of the old Iowa Soccer. Because this is when you guys had this hearing, it was two thousand fifteen, I think. I think it was two thousand. Okay, so not too long ago actually, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I believe it was 15. Uh, I, I don't know if you can call it old. I would just say the previous. New, previous. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. The previous. <laughs> yeah. The previous. But I just want to be clear, different leadership. And, and so uh, now, fortunately, I happened, since I happened to be an attorney, we didn't have the cost of needing to pay an attorney. And so I, well, yeah, I should mention too, that I learned when we initially were denied membership, some other uh, soccer supporters from around the Boyne area reached out to me and said, hey, the same thing happened to us. And they sent me their letters. They'd gotten the same letter. There was a group out of like South side of Des Moines that had been denied membership that wanted to start a club. There was a group from, I think around the Grimes area or someplace like that, that wanted to start a new club. They were denied. And likely what happened was one, that $4,000 to file the grievance was too much money. And two, they very well may not have had an attorney to represent them to go through this grievance process. And so we had the grievance at the downtown Marriott and uh, I don't know, it probably took about a month or so and the, the decision came out and we won that decision. So I mean, you can go on the United States Soccer Federation's website and there's a grievance decision there for the Jayhawk Soccer Club where they required the Soccer Federation required Iowa soccer to affiliate our club. So now there, is there two, there's two precedences that are now, is that right? Yeah, you guys, and then the, the first one you mentioned. There's, well, there, there are a number of them that are out there. There are a number of other decisions that are out there. There was actually, the, there, the Columbia Basin was sort of key one that I felt that we could base ours on. And then there are a number of other grievances relating to some other issues. Now there is one, Razor City, I think out of Wyoming, and this is Gillette, Wyoming. And that was sort of interesting because when we won our grievance, they were, I got a call out of the blue from some guy from Wyoming asking me about our case and what had happened. And I gave them as best advice I could. And they ended up winning their grievance too. So that's on there, it's Razor City team. And uh, anyway, so those are on the Soccer Federation's websites. But in any case, so we won that grievance. And then at that point, I, I will say that even with the past leadership at Iowa soccer, once we won the grievance, they, they stated, you know what? Yeah, we're going to bring them into the fold. Jayhawk soccer club is going to be part of Iowa soccer. And since then we've had a, a good experience with, with Iowa soccer. Uh, and then I'll just quickly just note that later, and this is just more recently in the last year, 
we did change the name of our select program to Iowa United because there was some confusion over the fact that it was Jayhawk Soccer Club and a lot of people thought you had to live in Urbanville because Urbanville's high school team being the Jayhawks. And so that was that was sort of a battle we always fought trying to I'm a, I'm a Johnson friend who has a, a, or at least did at one point have a squad in your club. Oh, good. Um, I think it might have been your first, your first purple club, or first purple team. What uh, the Crossland? Crossland. Oh, Crossland. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 Crossland. Yeah. All right. So I got to ask though, um, Iowa United. Were you? <laughs> yeah, was it around it was, when you were around? It, well, it was. It was okay. just. Yeah, it was just. Started. So we're a world Iowa United guys. Yeah, well, <laughs> you guys, you guys appreciate this. So yeah, this is a little bit. I mean, this is, is a, this little, like a little hat tip. This is a little hat tip. This okay, is a little hat right. tip. To the old, absolutely, it's a hat tip. So uh, well, I, so I get to coach. Your I don't know if you were the <laughs> also, I, I think he was. I think he played for Iowa United. So one of the guys I played with in high school is a guy by the name of Aaron Leventhal. Oh yeah, and so, so yeah, he was on the pod again. Another well, reason for you to I listen to the pod, Matt. Only you're a podcast. I, well, I'll, I'll start, guys. I'll, I'll start. So, so I, be, I believe Aaron was with Iowa United. It was right around that time that that they started playing. Aaron was obviously one of the top players from the state for you know many many years, and probably still is. Uh, so anyway, so Iowa, Iowa United was around, so, and, and as we were looking for a name for the club. I start searching and uh, no one's using Iowa United. Why don't we go back and exactly like you mentioned, the little hat tip to the props to the old Iowa uh, United. That's great. Should talk to old Matt Candy. He'd probably love to be your goal coach. <laughs> to coach for Iowa United again. <laughs> We'd love to have Matt. <laughs> uh, that's super cool. Um, okay, so, I mean, I th that's, a, that's a really good sort of recap. Uh, I, I want to talk about the whole, or we want to talk about the whole present day stuff. And so we're trying to be as like neutral as possible, put it out there. Um, but we want to hear about kind of like, obviously your perspective and then um, kind of like, what do you think could we do differently? Um, I mean, cause we've got opinions. Yeah, so yeah. Point. So just give us your <laughs> thoughts on the entire, I guess how it was presented, which I, from again, from our knowledge was kind of, a surprise to a lot of people of the creation of the CDL and then the standards just give us your thoughts on um, as a non CDL member that I don't know if you say not invited I don't I don't even know if how that even came about I don't think many people do so yeah just he's just a wallflower <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah what it just what's I, yeah and I wasn't yeah I wasn't certainly wasn't on the inside at all and then took me, I guess, a little bit by surprise, but at the same time, I guess the actions didn't necessarily surprise me, but I, yeah, I took it as exclusionary. And, and it was especially ironic, I guess, for, for our club, when I thought about here, we, we worked so hard to be able to have teams in ISL. You know, we had worked so hard to have teams in the recreational league in Iowa soccer, then also have select teams in ISL. So here we've done all this work. We finally won the grievance and we're in ISL and we're able to play these other clubs and we love playing them. We love playing them. Like you said earlier, competition's good. And then the other thing is you had other new clubs that are, you know, UFAs, started up as far as what Jaime's done with UFA and so forth and 
Iowa Storm and, and some other Des Moines soccer club, a lot of different clubs sort of popping up or other combinations that I think are sort of similar mindsets as far as low cost soccer for both recreational and select. And so I, I, I raise that and raise this about these other clubs is, in my opinion, what was happening is that some of those big clubs didn't like that new competition coming in. And they didn't like the fact that here their teams were now playing some of these other clubs where they are lower cost and perhaps are being very competitive playing their teams on the soccer field. And so they needed to, again, it's just my opinion, but they needed to try to find some way to set themselves apart again, the CDL clubs. So one way to set themselves apart is to attempt to set what they're calling, you know, there's some elite league, some elite separate league so that they can explain to their parents how, what they're doing is better and how this will better prepare their children and so forth. And, you know, of course I disagree with it. I, I do believe it was exclusionary, especially the way they, they tried to start it. It was no doubt exclusionary. And I think just for everybody to be aware, I, and correct me, Matt, you may not know or may know it. Uh, everybody was just informed about it. Um, I'm trying to think of how, do you remember Ben? Like, it was via email. Via email, just like from the stage, just said here, Hey, everybody, by the way, here's something that just popped up. And yeah, just so you know, CDL is going to exist now. Yeah. Which like, from my standpoint, I just kind of go like, huh, oh, that sounds like it's, Use soccer, but I'm, I'm sort of detached myself from it. But uh, from your perspective, as somebody who's right in the middle of it, and you're trying to run a club, that must have been a very, uh, I, I'm not even giving an adjective, but that you must have been taken off, off guard. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, again, it was a big surprise and a, and a disappointment because our teams like playing those teams. And I mean that in a very positive way. And, and, and yeah, I would say mostly those have been very constructive opportunities for our teams and their teams. And, you know, these kids will have the families, have a lot of friends that are with some of these other clubs. So it's, it's not as if when you look at the, the actual memberships in these clubs, whatever the clubs are, whether it's ours or, you know, United Football Academy or Iowa Storm or Des Moines Soccer Club or fill in the blank with any of the CDL clubs, it's not as if this is all adversarial between the players and the families. I think a vast majority of them are probably friends outside of this. They've gotten to know each other playing and they enjoyed playing. So now you're saying, well, wait, so we're not going to be playing these teams and I'm gonna to need to tell my players that their classmate that they enjoy playing against, we're not gonna be playing against them. Yeah, so part of our reasoning for this is just because we think that the I think that this is a, a conversation that's probably happening like up here, you know, up, up here. It's, uh, it's the, the club uh, executives, it's the directors of coaching, it's the club presidents, the boards, but like the, the parents and the players for that matter, you know, like we talk about this, like if I was a player right now and I knew there was a, an elite league, I don't care what club I play for, I'm going, okay, that's where I want to play then. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's, that's not fair to these other clubs at all. And it makes no sense, like why, you know, if I, if I live in a name town, Indianola, like why am I gonna travel 30 minutes and 45 minutes to 
to go play for this club when I could play my, my local club, in theory. I'm like, it could be positive. I, I, and I don't, even, I don't even really care about this. I mean, I don't mean that to be like rude. I just don't have any kids. I don't coach anymore. So I, I just think it, it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. So from your standpoint, I mean, you're just trying to protect your, your kids. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we're just trying to give them the best opportunity. And frankly, it's the best opportunity for the kids from the clubs, if you want to call them these CDL clubs. Because the more, my experience is that the more clubs and the more teams that you have in a large pool. Okay, so let, let's give Iowa soccer the benefit of the doubt. Let, let's give Iowa, so which I'm willing to do because I've seen a lot of good things from Iowa soccer here in the last few years. So the larger the pool that Iowa soccer has, boys, girls, doesn't matter, it's, it's that much easier for them to put teams at the appropriate level of play through whatever that is. Now, let's say that the, the highest level of play very well may have a higher percentage of teams from some of these CDL clubs, some of these big clubs that are established have been around. However, I can promise you that there are some teams, including from our own club, there are some teams from these other clubs that are right up there. They're ready to play and have been playing at that level as well. And then, oh, by the way, a lot of these CDL second teams, third teams, fourth teams, as you go down in age groups and so forth, well, it might make a lot more sense for those teams to be playing against some of the team, maybe, maybe it might make sense for a CDL, a third or fourth team from one of these clubs to play the second team from our club or from some other club like that. And so if you have this larger pool of teams, this larger pool of clubs all together, then you're able to best place teams and players have the you know, best possible experience to play. So go, I, we're I both saying, looking at you know, each other's bids. So. also occurs to me. This is like a layup for you here. No, that it just also occurs up. to me that if I'm like, let's just say I'm the 26th best player at the whatever X club uh, and I'm on the, the second team or the B team. Um, now I am, I'm incentivized to stay because there's that hope or whatever to get to the first team. Whereas they may be able to play for uh, their community club and uh, get some more leadership opportunities and may play more may have more competitive games. And at that age, like, uh, I mean, I guess this, this is another question and I'll, I'll wait on that. But to me, it's a, a, I mean, these are like just young people that we're trying to produce. It has nothing to do with soccer players. So sometimes I think that's probably better. Right. I, I would guess. No, I, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've, we've seen that with some kids who come from other clubs that have come to our club where we've seen some of those kids that maybe were on that second team. And now, just to be frank, they come to our club well. Maybe now they're on that first team and perhaps they are in a little bit more of a leadership position on that first team in our club. So the example I use, I've, and I've seen that play out as a coach where that's happened or just what their role looks like on, on the team or their, how many touches they're getting of the ball. You know, our, our teams, frankly, will, will tend to have fewer players on our team. We need to talk about roster. We're able to, to do that. And so I, I like to have fewer players on the roster so they're getting more touches, more opportunities. So 
yeah, I think a lot of times it's good for those players to, to do that. So is it, um, is it fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a big part of the non-CDL clubs and maybe even Iowa soccer, I don't know about keep them out of it, but the way the CDL went about creating the league without um, no standards, no application, just creating it with a specific nine clubs, that's a bit to, to the non-CDL groups. That's a big problem. Yeah, I think oh, and I, I think I would I guess I would say that is um, and then the second part of it is the whole application process right so since our first podcast a few, couple weeks ago Ben two weeks ago which that's why I'm disappointed in the boss here I wish you would have listened to that <laughs> yeah there you go although it's not like you haven't read the documentation so <laughs> yeah so since then the cdl has come back because iowa soccer said hey you can't and ultimately from i don't know does it stem on state cup do you think that's the in state cup of control do you think that's the main part of the cdl's absolutely. okay yeah absolutely i think it's state state cup regionals absolutely and trying to be in do you think trying to be in control of the rules do you think that's part of it or not Oh, yes. Okay. I, I think, matter of fact, now I think it's more of a part of it than I did before. So initially, when this first came out, as I mentioned, I thought it was more about, well, we want to be exclusionary and just sort of separate ourselves. And, and, and while I think that's part of it, now that the CDL clubs have come back with this counter proposal, and they've really done away, they've done away with some of their, their requirements that they initially had these air quotes standards that they had. And so now that they've done away with some of these standards where more teams would be able to come in and more clubs would be able to come in, well, now it looks more to me like, well, I see what's going on here. They just want to control the league. You know, they want to be the ones in control. And so for many years, when Iowa soccer was running a little bit differently, I believe these clubs were largely in control. I believe they were the, the tail wagging the dog. For many years and then now you have this change at Iowa soccer where Iowa soccer now is focusing more on equity more on opportunity sort of looking out for these other clubs looking out for the lower income players more and they're not this is a perfect example where they did not approve for CDL this past year and that was probably the first time that I'm aware of and really a major decision where Iowa soccer stood up and said no. And so I, I believe this has to do more with power and control now that some of these large clubs feel that they're losing some of this power and control and they want to regain it. And so there's definitely been a negotiation um, because Iowa soccer for everybody that I think a lot of people unfortunately don't know. Um, a lot of the parents that of youth soccer players don't know. So Iowa soccer for all intents and purposes, purposes said, no, sorry, not gonna happen. Um, they stayed strong. They've yeah, so they said that. So now the CDL has come back and loosened some of their standards. Um, at least that's what, you know, they, they, they've loosened some of them or they said, hey. Um, From what we can tell. Yeah, happy to remove it. We're, this one will remain, whatnot. So, um, which, I, I do, I kind of find it interesting because some of the standards are, you know, for instance, the grassroots coaching license, um, we've looked into it and you have to have an A or B license 
well, to get an A or B, then you have to have a C, which the state has not offered a C in years. And then to get a C, you have to have a D license, which the state just offered, but the first time in a long time. So I. So here's what I would say. And we can dig deep into this if you want. But I, I'm more curious about like, what's a better answer? Because solution. Here, All right. So what's the yeah, solution? Yeah, because, there you go. Because we can go, because you can tell us why, like, these things don't make sense. Like, where, I mean, we can, I would love to. And that's, that sounds, that's where I was going to go earlier. It sounds but, painful to, to like go through bullet point by bullet point. I'm just more curious, like what's a better solution? I have ideas. Blake's got ideas. If um, you, if Matt would listen to our podcast, he would know your, your you, idea. You give me like, yeah, you give me like six more. Things <laughs> all about uh, so man, what are the solutions, Matt? Yeah. So I have one easy one. As far so. as this, this particular issue or solutions as far as soccer youth I, development? I think we're, I think we're talking about just like, how do you, so, cause you know, I have soccer. It's, it's not that it's 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 broken in any sense, but it's just stuck in this. It, it's it's a product of its own um, its own making. So like you know, you talk about how we're we're at a, at a junction where uh, now like the the CDL group they want to kind of break away. Well, you know, at a certain point we could have we could have fixed this a long time ago. Um, you know, and like ODP. Well, it's not super relevant right now. We probably could have fixed this a long time ago. Like, I think there's a lot of things that just have been sitting on the wayside. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've we've grown up, and we now we're that's why we're here. Um, so I just, I mean, I mean that's, that's sort of my point. Like, well, we know it's we know it's messed up, and, and it seems like the new group is really trying to change things, and uh, they're looking around the country and seeing they're they're doing you know comparing with best practices and all that fun stuff, all those those uh, classic buzzwords um but what what is the answer yeah i don't know if i'd look around the united states for best practices in youth soccer development this good things going on but when you look at here when you look at the number of players and the amount of money that's gone into youth soccer in the united states compared to probably any other country in the world and i'm including the money that large professional folks put into it i we have not developed the players that that we should develop and i and i'll say this you guys know this okay i look at let, let's take let's take with this let's ride it with you guys here let's take uh boys soccer development of boys players you know when when was the, the golden age of development of if you want to say elite players in the des moines area and I would say, I mean, just my opinion, I would say it was probably from about 1995 to 2005, 2006, somewhere in that time frame, right around there. I mean, that's when, if you that's, look around, if that's you actually look, a pretty reasonable time frame. Yeah, no, and I and I'm accurate I mean, I, and correct. I think. Yeah, I yeah. no, I, well, and I think no, seriously though, yeah. if Dude, you I, look at if you look at the players that were as far as if you want to if you want to say division one division two players college players whatever and you look at how many were developed around des moines at that time and then you look at after all these continued mergers and everything else that was done that was supposed to help to make des moines that much more elite and so forth it's dropped off it has dropped off and so it, it, when i look at that i see well back then you did have more community teams. Now there were some, you know, like you guys mentioned, Iowa United and Iowa United obviously had players from a number of different communities and you're always gonna have some of that and that's great. Or in your case, Urbandale Freedom. 
yeah. just as an Urbandale club. But I mean, that, and those guys were pulling from all across the state, but that they were like mm, top 10 team in the region. Sure. Yeah. But there was a team from Iowa United. There was a team from West Des Moines. There was a team up in Ankeny. Like there were right. still teams around. There wasn't just one superpower club. It, yeah, it was one team. It wasn't a whole club. Yeah, so yeah. You ha- but you had some of that, but I guess I guess what my point is, it begs the question, what direction are we going here? And it seems as some of these large clubs have changed and evolved, you know, supposedly for the better. I, I'm not seeing the the development move, you know, come along with that or progress with this what's supposed development here, and so. So the, I, we need to ask questions, the state association needs to ask them, and those clubs need to ask them as well. All of our clubs need to ask them, but what can we do to better develop players? And, and part of it is about development of elite players, that's part of it. But then part of it also, and this is where I think the community clubs come in, part of it also relates to having that pool of players and keeping kids in the game. And that's what excites me so much about all these other clubs that have popped up here recently and how we're seeing more opportunities and certainly what you guys are doing, like with the, the mini pitches. And I mean, that's just outstanding and helping to fund uh, lower income families and kids to be able to play the game. The more that we get that, getting the clubs, things you're doing, things other, uh, other nonprofit groups are doing to, to help out, help these families out, get more of these kids involved in the game, you're going to see more kids playing recreationally. You're going to see more kids playing at select level. You're going to see more elite players, in my opinion. And so that's what I believe we need to do more of. And that's what, you know, you talk about uh, overseas or other places. That's what they do. They have their local teams. And then if a player is good enough, then they're identified. And then they play at a higher level. But when that player leaves, it's not seen as a negative thing. But I, I would assert right now, and I guess this is sort of bigger picture, and we can sort of get back to the maybe the, the CDL and so forth. But I would assert right now that let's let's say if you want to take the Des Moines area, really you probably, whether it's boys or girls, you probably only have enough. You'd really have one elite team in Des Moines. Okay, so let, let's just say hypothetically, let's say you did, and I, and I think Ross is doing some really good things. Ross is, is helping to sort of bring ODP back, I would say, or put more emphasis in that. But let's just say, let's just say that ODP, until we have a professional club here, which we're all excited about, it's coming. Maybe someday they'll have an academy team. But until you have that, maybe it's ODP. That ODP has the sort of one elite team for an age group. Okay, so these are truly elite, because let's be honest, Des Moines area is not producing 15 players that are going on to play division one or division two every year. It's not agreed. Right. Yep. Right. And so, so if that's the case, then why would you need more than one elite team? Then outside of that, outside of that, then the other, the other kids who are, some of them may go on to play college at some level, maybe very good players, but they're playing for their, their club. They're playing for their club, their community club, you know, whatever clubs are out there right now that they choose to play for, again, all under the umbrella of Iowa soccer through, if you want to call it ISL, and having said this, and maybe this brings it back a little bit to the CDL, hey, these CDL clubs, you know, they may have a couple of ideas here that are worth talking about. But the thing that I, that I push back on them, though, is 
why is it, I, I'm not hearing anything or any examples of how this has been raised with Iowa soccer and they've been unable to provide a, a solution or an opportunity here. I'm just not hearing that. It's, it sounds more like, well, we wanna do this thing. And so we're just gonna take our ball and go off somewhere else and do our thing. Why not raise some of these issues? So if you look at, let's say central, they talk about centralized play, just for people listening. They talk about having an opportunity to have some centralized locations. It's easier for them with coach coverage, whatever. Having some of that, well, doing that is probably a good idea, largely. I wouldn't say it's a good idea for every game, but for many of the games that might make sense, well, that would seem to be something that ISA should listen to that and look to see what ISA could do so there are more centralized locations to be able to pool teams together, referees together, all that. So there are some, I guess my point is, there are some valid points on here that CDL teams raise, but I just don't believe that they've truly given ISA the opportunity to provide solutions. So these seem like, I mean, I don't disagree with that point, but it seems like a little bit of a, a detail. It's, it's minutiae. Um, what do you think, is there like a solution that's maybe on a broader scale, like you, you talk about having, whether it's like an ODP and, uh, let's just hope like the pro Iowa and ODP find a way to, to meld together and create a unaffiliated, unbiased top team that can just like scrape off that top, like whatever it is, one to 5%. Let's say that happens. So then how do we, how do we get the most out of the rest of these kids because I mean there's this part of it it's where it's like let's uh let's develop players let's let's teach sportsmanship and character and let's teach them how to play out of the back and uh you know defend as a team but you know then there's these other things that come from like maybe like let's teach them how to win or like how to prepare or how to just not lose or whatever it is and where is that uh like do you have any thoughts on like how do you teach both of those things? Because to me, when you talk about the difference between 95 to 06, like I, we were always worried about winning. That was just the mm -hmm. culture that we grew up in. Mm -hmm. And that's been sort of poo-pooed or, like, I mean, I don't know, poo-pooed, that's, that's not a technical term. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely been discredited. So like, how do you, um, like, how do we reconcile that? You know, like, do you want to be competitive or do you, and win? Or do you want to just like look pretty while you do? I don't know. Right. So just tell me what you sort of think about that and how, how do we fix it or do we fix it? Or is this just a yeah. product of yeah. culture? Yeah. And I, I think as or far as. That. I'll just, just let it go. We're, keep going. Cause we'll just do the, I think we got, we're gonna, you don't have another battery on that. Do you? Uh, you're good. So we got the audio. So okay. yeah, we'll sorry. Just keep doing with the audio. Sorry. We lost the video. Oh. If somebody watched stay till this long, that's good. No, it is staying. I know. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Uh, hold yeah. on. No. Give it uh, like two seconds here. One one thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as some some ideas there, you know, I would say that's where Iowa soccer and I'd encourage Iowa soccer to really take the lead on this because I think back to my comment about the tail wagging the dog is that and we're seeing this a little bit right now with the cdl clubs and they have a reference in their rebuttal about how well we have 33 percent of the players which appears to be a little bit of a threat that hey we might 
we might leave and we're going to take our 33% of players in the state with us and that type of thing. And so I'd, I'd like to think that if Iowa soccer really stands up here as, as a leader and really takes the reins on well, what, what should development look like in Iowa and be more frank with, because that's something that I don't think that we do a good job at, at a, both at the soccer federation level and then working its way down through the youth level. We do not do a good job of being frank with clubs in our country and including in the state of Iowa saying, hey guys, we have some problems here. Let's, it doesn't mean everything's broken. I mean, for whatever my critiques are of these CDL clubs, I'm not gonna tell you, there's some very good coaches with some of these CDL. Now I'll say there's some very good coaches in other clubs too, but it's not as if there aren't some coaches there that do a quality job. There, there's, there certainly are. But all too often, I think we just allow for those clubs to sort of run whatever course they want to run. And so we're not hearing from a leadership level saying, hey, we need to make so we need to be honest with ourselves and we need to improve some things and we need to take a look at maybe club structure. Let's, let's talk about club structure with your clubs. What should that look like? What, you know, maybe if you start changing the club, I mean, one thing that I would love to see with some of these clubs, and this will get around to your question here in, in just a minute, but is if you had, so let's talk about paid pro coaches. I don't believe you need nearly as many full-time paid pro coaches. Now this isn't a knock again, all across the board of paid pro coaches. Again, a lot of them are very, very knowledgeable. But if you had more of these community-based clubs, so maybe those coaches are more at a leadership level in those clubs, maybe coaching some of the higher level teams, some of the older teams doing some of that, but then having it for the other teams, and we see some of this now, I recognize this, but probably a lot of the coaches like you guys probably had who are not making, I guarantee you, your coaches were not making a lot of money. They're probably well, on the start. That's why I asked like, who you, who's your yeah. first coach? Like, yeah. One of our first coaches was Elliot Nussbaum, who's, who was like a staff writer for the Des Moines Register. And his oldest son was like a good player. And then his younger son was playing. Like, and not that he, he was a good player too, but like, that was why, because he had a good player, and I was like, oh, "Here, I'll, I'll do this." Yeah, but he didn't know. It. He didn't. He was just a. I mean, he was a great coach, and that is the thing that is incredible. He didn't have like a. He didn't have a license. He was good at writing, right? I mean, but like, he was a great coach. I learned a lot from that guy, like a ton. And yeah, and those coaches can still. You guys, obviously, perfect example can develop. Help to help to develop and encourage players. Like a ton, so, right? I mean, did you did you play for Elliot? Yeah, like at least one season. No, I definitely did. Yeah, but I mean, coaches are like teachers, right? And yeah, teachers in the school system has to have to have a license, but that um, they don't. Well, I don't even. I don't even have a D. Okay, so I went yeah, coaches to get don't my have D to, license. Like... I went to get my D license, and I my evaluation said this is I was already had a mark on me. Okay, so they already knew who I was. But my my as on my evaluation said how my shirt wasn't tucked in as I did my evaluation or whatever. So then I sent a photo of Jurgen Klinsmann at the time. The shirt wasn't tucked in training, but whatever. It was that type of thing. So I have my state license. So I'd be a perfect example. I guess I wouldn't be qualified to coach. I guess who was your first coach? Mine? Yeah. Uh, my dad and then and my then, buddy's dad, who was just a dad, who, like, who, Kevin yeah. Burns. Yeah. Okay. So like, I was like Pat Sullivan, 
Ted Brackett, Dean Leg. I mean, these are just guys. Like, and I think Matt Leg is uh, like a construction guy. But on your on your point earlier though, that there's now parents that don't necessarily have license, but they grew up playing the game, yeah, knowledgeable. There are more of there are more of those that played the game and have that. And then you have some others that, as you've mentioned, Ben, they're just good coaches too. So Dean is a great coach. He taught me to pass with a purpose. I was eight, nine. Yeah. Like and that registers with me still as a 36-year-old. Yeah. Pass yeah. purpose. It's like, yeah, oh, but, that's really smart. But if these clubs, back to, the, back to the, the structure here, if these clubs looked at this and made these changes, and so it's not as if you're doing away with all the paid coaches or, oh, I'm talking about paid coaches, I mean the full-time ones. And you'd still have some on stipend. Those bigger clubs would probably have more of those. But you would also supplement those. I mean, when I look at coach, you know, one of the comments they make here is, well, we need to do this because of coaching coverage. And I'm sure coaching coverage can be an issue for those clubs, but why, why don't those clubs, I'm talking about CDL clubs, why don't they have some of the parent coaches like you've talked about, who at the very least, I'm sure that they could fill in and coach for a game or two or whatever, when their coaches maybe don't have full coverage or whatever the case might be. And as you do that, you're lowering the cost of the game. And that's what I'm getting to. The fewer paid coaches you have, the lower the cost of the game is. If you look at, I mentioned all those clubs earlier, Des Moines Soccer Club, United Football Academy, you know, our club, Iowa United, you, know, you go down the list of clubs like that and you look at the cost of our select program. Now, some of these clubs have some paid coaches. So it's not as if there aren't any paid coaches. They have some, but just not as many. Well, the cost of select soccer is much, much lower. And so again, that's providing more opportunity for the players. So when they talk about scholarships, well, for instance, the CDL group mentioned, well, they've provided $240,000 worth of scholarships. Well, that's nice, I mean, that's, that's great. But when you're talking about 10 clubs, okay, so 10 clubs provided 240,000, that's $24,000 per club. That's how many players actually in each club. Whereas let's say our, you know, little Jayhawk soccer club, Iowa United or whatever. Well, if we're charging a thousand to $1,300 less per player to play select soccer, those numbers add up pretty quick, quickly. We have hundred select players. Then you start multiplying times other clubs. So my point is clubs like this and having structures like this, bring more kids into the game, lower the cost. But I'm just, I, over the years have not heard this from the, the national level or the state level where they're really willing to take our system on. They're just not willing to take it on. And that's what I believe in the long run needs to happen. And I think it's naturally happening by these other clubs popping up. The NAP, these other clubs now that we are able to have new clubs in Iowa, they are sort of taking the system on and they're doing well. And that's what's so concerning about this breakaway league. So anyway, I think as we do that, and again, look at changing the structure, talk about you know, player development, talk about identification, not be so territorial with our players. And I think if we have those, the elite teams at the state level where the state is running that or a professional clubs running that, then hopefully then it wouldn't be as much of a territorial issue. So then if we have that one kid from Iowa United who makes the ODP team or whatever we wanna call it, then we're just proud. And we put on our website, hey, we have this. And then we might have one from Iowa United. Well, Sporting Iowa might have six or seven or whatever the number is for that age group, right? Or whatever. And then they put on their website, hey, look at how many players we have. 
but we're willing to let them go over there because this is better for those players. And then these other players are filling in behind them, just as sort of you had alluded to earlier, Ben, and having those opportunities. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with the player Moeng Sunday, who played at Drake. He's from mm -hmm. Iowa City. Um, and he just he just signed uh, – who did he sign with? Oklahoma's Oklahoma FC Energy. Yeah. Or, yeah, with John Pasquarella. And, like, the menace is taking credit for him. Drake's going to take credit for him. Iowa City's going to take credit for him. Like, all these places are taking credit for him, and they should. Like, they all touched him in his development. So it's like, hey, if, like, some kid played at, like, the Jayhawk Club – and then they went and played at Sporting Iowa, and then they went and played at Sporting KC. Like, that's kudos to all three of you guys before he goes and plays at, you know, whatever European club or for the national team or whatever college. So I think I, I think that's just it's, – it's more about the collaboration piece. So it, it, it does seem – it's just it's too divisive for my taste. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is. It always, it always has been. It's the collaboration it right there. Been, like, but it always has been. Because we were 12, 13, 14, and West Des Moines and Iowa United – United or we're trying to merge well we couldn't figure it out what was going to happen and that was in the 90s when you were you know rocking and rolling out <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah we talked about it a couple weeks ago. I mean it, there's no matter what you gotta have the budget and the money piece plays a part no matter what anybody wants to say that is a reality and unfortunately that plays probably too big of a factor in a lot of these conversations and that's in the beauty of, of what i'm talking about or what i'm suggesting is when you when you have fewer paid coaches so you take our club now our clubs we have we're all volunteer okay so our bylaws state that you it's an all-volunteer club and i'm not saying it needs to be like that in every club but that's just how we've done it well it doesn't take much for us you know, our, our recreational fees, and that's something I talked about, recreational subsidizing select, our, if anything, our select subsidizes our recreation. We have not raised, I think we've raised our recreational fees once in 10 years. Like our 6U are paying, I don't know, they pay 25 or $30 a season or something. You know, something, whatever. Insurance costs. Yeah, they basically insurance costs, your water in the field mowing and all that, those types of things. And then our select program, I think now for the year is something like $550 or somewhere right around there, $550, $525. And so, but we're able to do that and we're fine financially. We're doing okay. Now we're not looking to make a lot of money, but we have some money in our savings and so forth. If the mower goes out, we need to buy a new mower or whatever. We put in lights on our field there at Urbandale. So we have one field there and it has lights now on it, some muscle lights on the field. So we're able to do that pretty pretty quickly because we're not we're not paying you know we're we're not paying coaches and then if these other clubs maybe the bigger clubs maybe they continue to pay some coaches but not as many then I think it's just going to be that much easier for them to you know one for families to build for it and it doesn't take the same resources it doesn't take the same budget like you're right yeah, and that's is that a is that a, actually a pretty good little impromptu wrap up right there? Yeah, I don't know if you have anything else, but I don't. But that was, I I thought that was good. No, I, I think you're right, and you basically gave the long form answer of your answer, so that's good. 
I'm good in long form. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, he may he may be a billable by the hour. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not billable. <laughs> by the hour. I did it one time though, so I know how to do that, but not, not any longer. Well, Matt, do you have anything? I mean, what else? Final anything else no, you want to kind of just again? Pitch? I appreciate what you guys are doing, and it's I me. Mean, it's exciting with these with the mini pitches and everything else going on. It's exciting for me, having sort of gotten involved in this a while ago, to see all these. I, I should have mentioned, too, of course, Genesis, what Genesis, my gosh. I mean, how awesome is it what, what Genesis is doing? I mean, how awesome is that? And so it's just exciting to see what's going on. And I, I firmly believe it's a step backwards if the CDL or ISA approves for the CDL to sort of break off. So, hey, ISA, let's come up. ISA is some smart people there. Uh, CDL has a couple of decent ideas here. Let's take those ideas. Let's let's bring them back into the fold and figure out a way so we can all work together to help improve youth soccer. Yeah, I guess what I the only thing I hear here hear here <laughs> the only thing I hear here is collaboration. Like that's all you guys want, and and you know um, my uh, desired outcome didn't uh, come out in the uh, conversation, but. We'll have a conversation about that as well. I think because I, mean, I think there's really a way to, to find a way to make things competitive for everyone and also develop players and do the same thing, same types of things you're talking about to keep costs low. So yeah, absolutely. All right, Zeebs, that was a fun chat. Uh, nice little, uh, nice first time I've ever had a chance to speak to, to Mr. Carver. Yeah, you're right. It was. Hopefully our listeners thought it was beneficial. Hopefully people that did not know some of the things regarding the CDL now do a little bit, at least. Um, and kind of the challenge is that the league is... Uh, Creating for others, I guess, is maybe the best way to put it. Yeah, at the least, it's just getting you know everybody uh, getting another perspective. Um, definitely something I don't know much about, so uh, I enjoyed it and I love learning a little bit and having a conversation with somebody new. Yeah, so do I. And like we kind of talked about, once this is all said and done, and whatever decision has been made by Iowa Soccer to allow the CDL to be a state championship series league, we will. Uh, you know, hopefully have uh, the state on to kind of talk us about the process and that'll definitely be an interesting one. I think it will. I will. Uh, I'll look forward to that, especially um, to do so with you seems it'll be good. Um, do we need to plug anything? I don't think so. I mean, join the supporters club. If you stuck with us this long, um, get some swag, yeah. follow us on social media and shipping that stuff out. So stay tuned, keep your eyes peeled. And when you get it, Show it off. Yeah, stay tuned. I think maybe we'll have another guest or two as well from a non-CBL organization. So, yeah, right on. Well, good chat. Thanks, Blake.